and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if the story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 52. Thanks for listening. How's your week, guys? We're well into January now. It's still really cold where I live, but that's alright, because this part of January is a bit of a milestone for me. On January 18th, 2016, the very first episode, episode 0, of a little show called Atari Bytes dropped. That was my first stab at doing a podcast, and now I have made it a year. So, yay me. It's been an interesting experience. I think I've gotten better at it since episode zero. A lot of you have checked out a show by a dude you've never heard of and given the show a chance. We've grown a little bit. would be nice to grow more. So, you know, keep telling your friends about the show. Uh, I'll keep making them every week. And, uh, you know, we'll see what year two looks like. Uh, It's 2017. There's a lot of change in the air. Um, Over Christmas, on the podcast, we did our first 7800 game. I'm guessing there will be more in the year to come. Not all the time. This is still a 2600 podcast at heart, but a 7800 game may creep in there every now and then. So, things are looking good. We're playing some good games, uh, including the one we got this week. But first, the news. Got a little feedback uh, from some past episodes. I heard from Jeff, the 8-Bit Advocate, on Twitter, who tweeted at me a few days ago, to tell me that he scored 95 points in Skydiver. This is the ongoing backlash against my comments in episode 47, I believe where I said that I thought it was nigh-on impossible for anyone to get 99 points in Skydiver as the manual promised. Since then, people have gone out of their way to prove to me that I'm a dunderhead. Sean from Pie Factory sent me a link to um, a dude on camera scoring 99 points in Skydiver. And now Jeff, uh, the 8-Bit Advocate, sent me... First he tweeted at me and said, I just got 95 points. And then he, and he followed that up by saying, After much introspection and gnashing of teeth, this seems to be my limit. Well, but then he learned, as I have learned, that sometimes words come back to haunt you. Because he tweeted at me again a couple days later to show me a screen capture of his 97-point success story. Still not 99 points, which I was quick to point out because I am desperate to hold on to whatever dignity I can. And I think he's just trying to hurt me now. So I'm expecting any day now that in my Atari Bytes feed will be a tweet from the 8-Bit Advocate with his screen capture of him having 99 points. Oh well. Jealousy is an ugly, ugly thing. I will have to try to work on that. Or try to work on Skydiver. That might actually be easier. I got an email from Pie Factory, but not Sean this time. I got an email from Jim, the other host at Pie Factory. He wrote to tell me that I am a bonehead because I said that Twin Galaxies, uh, an arcade, was in Chicago. It's not, of course. It's in Ottumwa, Iowa. I knew that. I totally blew it. I guess I was thinking of a different arcade. I'm also a little embarrassed because I lived in Ottumwa briefly uh, a few years uh, a lifetime ago, and I never knew about Twin Galaxies. I wasn't really a, a, a arcade guy or retro game guy at the time, so I guess I wasn't really looking for it. 
but now I'm kind of sorry that I didn't know about it. So, thank you for the correction, Jim. Jim also wanted to point out to me, um, following up on my Galaxian episode, where I my story centered around the character Commander Champion. Jim wanted to point out to me, in my story, Commander Champion is a woman. Uh, he wanted to point out to me that Commander Champion of Atari Force is actually a dude uh, named Ace Champion. And he mentions the Atari Force comics in the Missile Command sequel, Liberator. I'm not actually familiar with the sequel to Missile Command, I'll be honest. I didn't even know there was a sequel to Missile Command, but I'm going to have to go look for it now. The Atari Force comics, I had kind of forgotten about those. As I recall, I think I did talk about them a little bit in the first couple of episodes of the podcast, but as I noted earlier, that was a year ago now. Uh, so I went back uh, and looked on Atari Age, where several of the comics comics are reproduced, and there is indeed a Commander Champion who's a dude. They actually call him Commander Martin Champion. I don't know if there is an Ace Champion somewhere in the series. I didn't read all the comics, but I kind of flipped through some of them. Uh, and he's right. Commander Champion's a dude. In my defense, in the story that I made up to go with the game, the main character, Bernadette, eh, has some mental health issues. And she's just kind of imagining herself to be Commander Champion. There, There isn't a real commander champion there isn't really a you know uh, an invading force of aliens it's kind of all in her head so i think i get a pass there um but i do appreciate jim telling me about this reminding me that i was totally overlooking the existence of the atari comics the atari force comics and you should go check those out as a atari story podcast it is good for me to be reminded that those are out there because they are literally atari based stories so uh, and they're kind of fun, in a cheesy 80s sort of way. Um, some of the Atari Force comics, I, as I flip through them, some of the stories are kind of intense. Pretty um, in-your-face kind of war stories, a couple of parts, and kind of interesting stuff. So check those out. Let me know what you think of them. And as always, uh, as Jim did, I am happy to have my boneheaded mistakes pointed out. Jim sums up his email by saying, I'd like to say that I enjoy the show, but the errors... We never make errors on Pie Factory, just inaccuracies. I know Jim's kidding there. If you listen to Pie Factory, you know that they have a whole theme song devoted to the fact that they make errors. So, and everybody does. So, thanks for the email, Jim. Hopefully I will get more. Not to be outdone, I heard from the other half of the Pie Factory duo, Sean. In his email, he starts out, I wish you a good 2017, Bill. Um, first, right off the bat, he explains that he is not going to take my suggestion to start a Latin uh, podcast, Learn Latin with Sean. Um, I kind of knew that already, but I guess it's official now. No Learn Latin from Sean podcast. Uh, Then he goes on to talk about Galaxian. Gotta admit, I rarely play Galaxian, he says. I just find it in the Galaga games boring. I mean, you just sit there and shoot things. Big deal. From an outsider's perspective, most of Atari is just sitting there shooting things. Frankly, Sean, but I see what you mean. Uh, He goes on, at least with Space Invaders, you were defending the planet, and if anybody landed, you were done. Galaxian Galaga, you shoot up, you shoot down, try not to die, but yeah, the 26th version is a good conversion, admittedly. I am curious as to why they put a colored border on it, though. I think I mentioned in the podcast, I don't really remember playing Galaxian in the arcade. I played Galaga, and I haven't played Galaxian on any other, um, you know, any other ports, any other versions of it, other than the 2600. I kind of like the 2600 one. I thought it looked kind of good. 
more arcade-ish than a lot of the ports do. Uh, and it's kind of fun, but then I haven't tried to sit there for an afternoon playing it. I think he's probably right. It would get kind of repetitive and boring after a while. Although, honestly, so does Space Invaders. You know, even with the whole invasion aspect. Sean goes on to say, Hey, listen, so you're doing Adventure next time. Just curious if you could answer this question. Adventure is a very easy-to-find game for the Atari 2600. It was a massive seller. So why, why, why is it so butt-spankingly, insanely expensive to get a copy complete in box? Find a loose cart, which is what I did, Sean. You can probably get it for a dollar or two, but with the box? Suddenly people want 50 bucks. Hard. <clears throat> Regardless, I'm looking forward to the story you'll be cooking up for Adventure. Well, wait no more, because, of course, we did Adventure last week. And hopefully by now you've heard it. Uh, I look forward to your comments on my Adventure episode. I actually think I got my copy of Adventure in, like, a bundle of loose carts. I don't think I bought it by itself. I might have. Um, regardless, I got a bargain, as I recall. I'm pretty frugal with what I'll spend on Atari carts, so I'm pretty sure I got a good deal. The bundles that I've bought in particular, I've gotten good deals on. Um, so I see his point. I'm not really a collector of the boxes. I've got a few games where I've got the packaging, but I don't have, I don't go looking for those um, at this point anyway. Right now, I'm mostly just looking for games I can use to play. Uh, if I bought a game in box, especially a sealed one, I'd feel bad about opening it up to play on the show. But right now, I'm looking for, obviously, for content for the show. So I could see a day coming when I start focusing, when I have the cash, start focusing on trying to get some of the packaging and the, the sealed, you know, collector's editions, uh, as it were. But not right now. And then Sean goes on to say what I said about, you know, not worrying about making mistakes. And he's actually the one who noted that on the Pie Factory podcast, they have a theme song for it. It's a catchy song. Um, I think Pie Factory should put out a CD of Pie Factory music. Music from and inspired by the legendary podcast. I would totally buy that thing. Sean writes, congratulations by the dubs on your acquisition of Atari, 20, Atari 7800 and seeing the wonder that is Food Fight. Yeah, that was the Christmas episode. I was very excited to play Food Fight. My kid liked it. We played it again today, as a matter of fact. It's fun. And then he goes on to plug his new show. In case you're interested, he says, in hearing about the homebrew world of the 7800, I just launched a new podcast. The Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Give it a listen. I did, Sean. Today, as a matter of fact. It's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and probably a few more providers I'm forgetting about. And info is online at homebrew78.fab4 it.com Next episode will be about the 7800 homebrew version of the Odyssey 2 game Casey Munchkin The exclamation point is part of the name of the game by the way. I wasn't getting loud I'm doing an Ed Ladden Seagull 78 giveaway too. So I did as a matter of fact today listen to uh, episode 0 for the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast and I started listening to the first regular episode uh, I got interrupted so I couldn't finish it um, my understanding from what I heard is the giveaway will be like somewhere around episode 3. And I thought I understood you to say that the game for episode 1 is actually uh, a different game. The name of which I'm forgetting at the moment. Uh, it doesn't really matter though. I'm enjoying what I've heard so far. Uh, everyone else should listen to it too. Even if you don't do the 7800 homebrews. And honestly, I've never played a 7800 homebrew at this point. It's nice to have a peek into another aspect of the retro gaming world. 
and I am sure that at some point I will check out some of the homebrews. Sean's last topic uh, that he wanted to cover was the Twin Galaxies website. If you're ever wondering if a certain score is possible, a good way to check is to go to the Twin Galaxies website. Twin Galaxies is recognized as the official keeper of world record scores on video games. If a score can be achieved, chances are it has been achieved and documented there. That's why I was curious about your observation of Skydiver, which I still have not played yet, he says, and now that I have a flashback portable, I have no excuse not to. And yeah, I forgot whether it was Skydiver or Human Cannonball or some other game, and I admit I was too lazy to re-listen to the episode to check. Oh man, Sean, you know, I guess I don't really care if you re-listen to my episodes, but if you could re-download them, that would be awesome. Um, it would make iTunes happy. Anywho, Bill, stay warm. I'm only one state to your right, and it's getting mighty cold. And regardless of whether your 2016 was awful or awesome, have a better 2017. Thanks for the email, Sean. I I don't know how many times I've said it, but I greatly value the whole podcasting community. Um, and, you know, guys like you and Ferd in particular have been very gracious with your time reaching out to me and my little show. So I appreciate that. And I wish you a happy and warmer 2017 as well. And good luck with the new show. Okay, well that's it for feedback. Uh, Let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is... Roadrunner from Atari and evidently Warner Brothers. There's a little confusion about the date. The materials I have that came with the game say 1989. There's some stuff on the internet that says 1985. And there's some other stuff on the internet that says it was kind of a drawn out process between like 84 and 89. So I'm going with 89 because the packaging I have, that's what it says. Um, of course, everybody knows Roadrunner and Coyote, uh, Wiley E. Coyote. Uh, racing around uh, southwestern United States. Roadrunner never talks. He just runs around going beep beep and running really fast. And the coyote just wants to eat him. Um, in the cartoons, typically, coyote doesn't really talk. Uh, once in a while, they'll do a cartoon episode. They do a cartoon episode where the coyote would basically be talking to the camera about what he wants to do. And he had sort of a weird British accent kind of thing. But in the cartoons itself, it's like he's never shouting at the rotor. Hey, you, stop! It's a Looney Tunes cartoon. So he orders a bunch of crap from, I guess, the Looney Tunes equivalent of Amazon. Because they sell everything. You know, he gets hang gliders and rocket ships and rocket launchers and big 
pulleys and levers and things to heave huge boulders down onto the Roadrunner, hopefully. All his schemes, of course, always backfire, but he, he remains undaunted. He's kind of like Charlie Brown, in a way. Uh, I do a Charlie Brown podcast, as a lot of you probably know, and Chuck is constantly failing. But he gets right back up and goes at it again. Wiley E. Coyote is kind of like that, too. So, you know all that going into the game. Um, you kind of know what you're getting. And, I, you know, jumping ahead to the review part, I'm not disappointed with this game. Um, you, you get pretty much what's advertised. So looking at the manual, we're told it's just another day zipping around the desert, pecking at seeds, and dodging the occasional truck. Suddenly, who should appear on the horizon but your old adversary, Wiley E. Coyote? He may not be the shrewdest predator you've ever dealt with, but he's certainly the most persistent. Wiley E. will try just about anything to catch you. Despite your speed, you're not completely impervious to his devious tricks, nor to the hazards of the desert highway. On a dark desert highway, cold wind in my hair, something, something, something. Welcome to the Hotel California. Sorry, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, Wiley E. Coyote will try just about anything to catch you. Despite your speed, you're not completely impervious to his devious tricks, nor to the hazards of the desert highway. You'll need to watch out for oncoming trucks, dodge cannonballs and falling rocks, and leap over lethal landmines and cliffs. So rev up your engine and get on your mark. The race is about to begin. Put the game in using the uh, joystick controller, of course, for this. There are one and two player versions. There's nothing in here about difficulty settings or anything like that. It's pretty much just uh, the difficulty is what it is. Although my sense is that as the levels progress, the, the play gets harder. Playing the game. The object of the game is to outrun the coyote while avoiding the hazards of the desert. There are eight levels in the game, each level more difficult than last. At this point in my Roadrunner experience, I haven't gotten any farther than level two. So I can't really speak to what the other levels look like. Move the controller in the direction you want the, ro the Roadrunner to run. Press the fire button to make the Roadrunner jump. In a two-player game, the player takes turns controlling the Roadrunner. You begin the game with three lives. You lose a life when Wily E. Coyote catches you, picks you up in a rocket, or shoots you with a cannon. You also lose a life when a truck hits you, you hit a landmine, you fall off a cliff, or you get hit by a falling rock. You score points by eating seeds along the road, eating steel shot, and destroying the coyote. Hazards. Watch out for the landmines planned along the road. Hit one of these and you're a goner. The landmines just look like little rectangular cursors. They don't really look like anything. Fast-moving trucks rule the road out here. They don't even slow down, let alone stop, for the indigenous po desert population. If one of these hits you, you lose a life. Uh, the trucks look really good in the game. They look like trucks, which is really all you can ask for. Wiley Coyote has a few cannons in his arsenal. Dodge these cannonballs or pay the price. Cannonballs are little square cursors, and the cannon is just two rectangular cursors, cursors on top of each other. So, yeah, the graphics kind of fall down there. Watch out for Wiley E's other tricks, particularly careful when he shows up on rocket skates or riding a rocket. Wiley E uh, is rendered fairly well. He looks a little bit more like a jackalope, maybe, than a coyote, or some sort of duck-billed bunny creature, but he looks enough like Wiley E that you get the idea. Falling rocks make it just that much more difficult to concentrate on your escape. These monstrous boulders are just as deadly as they look, and the boulders look fine. When you reach the cliff, you'll have to use your agile leaping skill to avoid the deep crevices between them. I haven't gotten that far yet. As the roadrunner races down the highway, piles of birdseed are found on the roadway. Eat each pile of birdseed to gain points. The birdseed's actually almost kind of hard to see. They're just little dots on the little blue dots on the black road. Uh, so that's kind of 
troubling. Although you score points by eating steel shot found along the road, they also make you more vulnerable. Wily E is armed with a magnet, making it temporarily harder to escape once you have swallowed the shot. I thought that some of the stuff I was eating in the levels that I was playing was steel shot, but now that I look at this picture in the manual, which I guess I didn't really pay attention to before, um, it clearly looks very distinct from the uh, birdseed. So I don't think I've actually experienced the steel shot either. Um, I may have made a comment about eating steel shot in the field report, so just ignore that. Strategy. You must keep running to the left to avoid the coyote, while watching out for the other hazards along the desert highway. If you double back, you can catch Wiley E off guard. Um, yeah, what happens if you double back towards the coyote? He kind of jumps back a little bit too, like, whoa, what are you doing, man? The last thing the manual tells us, one of the last things the manual tells us, time your jumps carefully and use them strategically to avoid Wiley E and the other dangers of the road. Use the mines and trucks to your advantage. I'm really not sure how you can do that, because to stay ahead of the coyote, you're running so fast to the left that you're almost to the left edge of the screen before the, the trucks or whatever's coming at you comes at you. So you don't have a whole lot of time to get out of the way, let alone use it to your advantage. Um, it's not like you can see a truck coming and time it so that it smacks into the coyote. At least I haven't been able to figure out how to do that yet. Maybe with a little more practice. The scoring. Eat a pile of birdseed, 100 points. Eat a steel shot, 100 points. Getting Wily E hit by a mine, which could be a cannonball or rock or whatever, 200 points. Getting Wily E hit by a truck, 1,000 points. I think I actually managed to do that accidentally a couple of times. Uh, like I said, I haven't quite figured out how to make it happen. Note, the first pile of birdseed the Roadrunner eats is worth 100 points. The point value of each successive pile of birdseed eaten thereafter increases by 100 points up to a maximum of 1,000 points per pile of birdseed. But if you miss eating a pile of birdseed, the point value of the next pile of birdseed the Roadrunner does eat is 100 points. And there you go. That is how you play Roadrunner. Uh, again, pretty straightforward. You could probably figure out the game even without reading the manual because, you know, like I said, everybody knows the Roadrunner cartoons and what the basic premise is. So uh, you're just doing that in game form. Roadrunner was ported to the Amstrad CPC, Atari 2600, Atari ST, Commodore 64, DOS, Sinclair X, Z, ZX, Spectrum, and the NES. Like other NES games released by Tengen, the NES version of Roadrunner was released in an unlicensed cartridge. The game was reviewed in 1988 in Dragon, number 140 by, Hartley, by Patricia Hartley and Kirk Lesser in the role of computers column. The reviewers gave the game 3 out of 5 stars. The game went to number 2 in the UK sales charts behind Exelon. This article I'm reading is from Wikipedia, and they've placed the, uh, the release of the game to 1985. The game was composed by Hal Cannon, Earl Vickers, the arcade version anyway. Gavin Anderson and Tanya Smith did the NES version, and like I said, the one review that they talked about in this article uh, was 3 out of 5 stars, so pretty good review. If you're curious more about the origins of the game, I would also direct you to the mystery of roadrunner thread in the atari age forums where there is some speculation i don't know how much actual concrete fact there is but there's a lot of speculation about the origins of the game uh, and i was kind of by accident i stumbled on that today and it was kind of interesting to kind of look through that uh, so if you're curious you might check that out if any of you has any more information about the origins of roadrunner you know who worked on it what they had in mind for the game um, one of the uh, speculations was that Atari was going to do a line of children's games, including like Bugs Bunny, uh, that got scrapped, and that kind of tickled the memory. I think in another episode I talked about 
a game that got developed after they decided not to do a Bugs Bunny game. I don't know. I'm not sure what game that was, but it sounds like maybe there was plans. Atari had plans to do more of these kind of cartoony games like Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner. Um, and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. After the break, we... Over the Coyote's Frayed Nerves and Fragile Psyche. Good times. Tonight on Animal Planet, we go deep into the heart of the American Southwest to observe the elusive Roadrunner in its natural environment. We must warn you, some scenes may be graphic, the food chain is in sometimes an unpleasant business, the coyote is relentless in its pursuit of its prey, one of its favorite meals is the Roadrunner. Tonight you'll see potentially grisly scenes of the Roadrunner trying only to feast upon the bird seed that nature has provided, or the steel shot that is readily available for unknown reasons in the American Southwest, but the coyote is relentless. It will pursue it for miles by any means necessary, running non-stop for hours on end, employing rockets if needed. Oh, rockets? Yes, rockets. Oh, I don't think that's right. No, it is. The coyote is clever. It will employ rockets and anvils falling from great heights and cannonballs if necessary. Oh, are you sure you haven't been drinking again? No, I've seen it. It's all real. All right, then. On with the show. So, Roadrunner is a good-looking game. I like that they got the snappy Looney Tunes music. Coyote moves really fast, even without the rocket in the game. Here I just picked up some birdseed. Actually, I'm not sure if it's birdseed or steel shot. I guess I would know if I was slowing down, because the steel shot is supposed to slow you down. If you run back... Whoa! I just smashed into a truck. I've been trying to figure out what that background noise sounds to me like. It sounds, I think, like the same audio that Defender uses? Um but I'm not sure. Um, this is a pretty good looking game. Um, the Roadrunner and the Coyote are, are rendered pretty basic. Oops, I just got eaten. Uh, one guy left. But I think I'm almost to the end of this level. Um, Alright, I made it to level two. But the uh, scenery is pretty good. Oops. I just died, fell into a huge crack in the middle of the road. Someone should call the Public Works Department. Maybe I'll uh, go do that. Back to you in the studio. The Acme Corporation is a fictional corporation that features prominently in the Roadrunner Wiley E. Coyote cartoons. And they sell really outlandish, weird products that the Coyote uses to try and catch the Roadrunner that always fail at the last minute and leave the Coyote blown up or crashing to the earth or otherwise, sometimes literally, backfiring on him. Uh, the Acme name is used as a generic title in many cartoons, films, TV series, commercials, and comic strips, and as an organization's placeholder name. 
Um, this Wikipedia article that I'm looking at says that the company name is ironic since the word Acme is derived from Greek, meaning the peak, zenith, or prime, and products from the fictional Acme corporations are both generic and failure-prone. The Acme name became popular for businesses, like real businesses, in, 19, in the 1920s when alphabetized business telephone directories such as the Yellow Pages began to be widespread. Lots of businesses chose the name Acme because, of course, they would get you up near the top of the list. Early Sears catalogs even contained a number of products with the Acme trademark, including anvils, which are frequently used in Warner Brothers cartoons. Huh, I didn't know that. That would explain why anvils are so darn common. I always wondered that as a kid. Where are they getting all these anvils? Um, is what I wondered, because that's the kind of stuff I wondered about. This Wikipedia article quotes Warner Brothers animator Chuck Jones, who says that the name Acme was chosen because of its prevalence. Quote, since we had to search out our own entertainment, we devised our own fairy stories. If you wanted a bow and arrow, you got a stick. If you wanted to conduct an orchestra, you got a stick. If you wanted a duel, you used a stick. You couldn't go and buy one. That's where the terms Acme came from. Whenever we played a game where we had a grocery store or something, we called it the Acme Corporation. Why? Because in the yellow pages, if you looked, say, under drugstores, you'd find the first one would be Acme Drugs. Why? Because AC was about as high as you could go. It means the best, the superlative. That evidently is a quote that Chuck Jones gave in a documentary from 2009. During the time that Warner Brothers cartoons were being made, the traffic lights in Los Angeles were manufactured by the Acme Traffic Signal Company. Traffic lights paired stop and go semaphore arms with small red and green lights. Bells played the role of today's amber or yellow lights, ringing when the flags changed, a process that took five seconds. The Acme semaphore traffic lights were often used in Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons and Mary Melody's cartoons for comedic effect due to their loud bell, which was often followed by screeching tires and many sight takes. Acme is not an acronym for a company that makes everything, or American companies make everything, or American company that manufactures everything. So if you say that it is, you are wrong, buddy. The Acme company is never clearly defined in Roadrunner cartoons, but seems to be a conglomerate which produces every product type imaginable no matter how elaborate or extravagant, which is why earlier I referred to it as sort of the Looney Tunes version of Amazon. Most of the stuff never works as it's supposed to. And just to be clear, Jeff Bezos, don't write to me. I'm not saying that stuff you buy from Amazon doesn't work. I'm just saying that you can get anything you want pretty much from Amazon, much as you could from Acme. Many of the products that Acme sells in the cartoons appear to be products specifically produced for Wile E. Coyote, such as the Acme Giant Rubber Band, Sometimes Acme can also send live creatures through the mail, though this isn't done very often, because that would be unrealistic. Two examples of this are the Acme Wildcat, which had been used on Elmer Fudd and Sam Sheepdog, which doesn't maul its intended victim but the owner instead, and Acme Bumblebees in one-fifth bottles, which sting Wiley E. Coyote. The Wildcat was used in the shorts Don't Give Up the Sheep and A Mutt in a Rut, while the bees were used in the short Zoom and Board. Uh, the products aren't so great, but the Acme delivery service is awesome. Wiley E. can merely drop an order into a mailbox or enter an order on a website, as in the Looney Tunes Back in Action movie, and have the product in his hands within seconds. I want to see an updated Looney Tunes movie, Roadrunner cartoon, where Acme delivers its products by drone. I think that would be awesome. Amazon's trying to do it. Domino's is trying to do it. I think it's time for the Acme Corporation to move into the 21st century. You can do it, Acme. Okay, so we know that Acme is a wonderful corporation that can sell you anything you want and get it to you in no time. 
But how are they to work with? Because as great as that sounds, there are times when you still need to consult with customer service. You still need to talk to somebody about your order. So how do they handle that? Does the Acme Corporation step up, or do they hide behind layers and layers of management? Let's find out in this week's game-based story. Our story opens with a simple sales call. Hello, thank you for calling Acme Corporation. Acme, doling out shoddy overpriced merchandise to obsessive anthropomorphic four-legged creatures since 1920. Yes, sir. I'm sure we have everything you need. Birdseed, steel shot, and a magnet. A science experiment? Yes, sir, anything you say. At Acme, plausible deniability is what we're all about. Moving on to the rising action. Hello, thank you for calling Acme Corporation. Acme, where the extensive litigation we're involved in won't affect the high level of customer service. Just the prices. Ah, yes, Mr. Coyote. Nice to hear from you again. Right. One rocket. We can ship that right away. What's that? Yes, you're right. A gross of rockets is probably better. Always buy in bulk. Shall we drop that shipment from a plane so that it falls comically onto your head as usual? Great. Make sure your umbrella is ready. Okay, so now the little Acme customer sales rep doesn't know what's going on, but uh, Wiley E is sounding a little more tense. He's experiencing a climax, if you will. Hello, thank you for calling Acme Corporation. Acme, where we believe lethality shouldn't deter a good time. Ah, uh, Mr. Coyote, you're still alive. Er, still conducting your experiment. What can we do for you today? Cannonballs. More rockets. Trucks mysteriously appearing from nowhere. And yet another rocket? Sir, do you think perhaps you're overdoing it? I have heard roadrunners are a bit gamey, and you know the Southwest has a number of fine restaurants, don't you? What's that? Why, yes, we do offer the Cartoon Predator discount. Use the promo code DESPERATE. Okay, so, you know, this poor customer service rep is assuming that he's probably not going to hear from the coyote anymore. Surely something really awful is going to happen. But no, another call comes in. Hello, thank you for calling Acme Corporation. Acme, where the future is being made today, primarily to avoid government oversight. Oh, it's you. I mean, yay, it's you. Roadrunner still eluding you? You know, sir, maybe it wasn't meant to be. What? You want how many cannonballs? All right, sir, we're happy to oblige. Stay vigilant. And then finally, one more call. Hello, thank you for calling Acme Corporation. Acme, unlikely to still be in business in a year, so get our great deals on crappy merchandise today. Who am I speaking to? Mr. Coyote, is that you? Oh, Mr. Roadrunner. You'd like to make some returns? 106 cannonballs, 1,343 pounds of steel shot, Four rockets. Is that all? 
Oh, I'm sorry, the Acme Birdseed Smoothie Maker didn't work out for you? Very well. You can return that as well. Shall we credit Mr. Coyote's account? Oh, alright. We can put the credit on a gift card made out to you. The return shipping label is on the way. I just need to confirm some account information with Mr. Coyote. What? Oh, I see. He's busy. Under a lot of pressure? Oh, from a falling rock. Totally understand. Good day and good beeping, sir. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can email Atari Bytes at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Show notes, other episodes, and other links are found at ataribytes.lipson.com. Find the show on Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iTunes, among many other podcatchers. When the option is offered, do please leave a review. It helps our rankings, and there's almost no chance of an anvil falling on your head while you're doing it. Like the show on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And also, you can help support the show financially on our Patreon page, and by shopping at our Zazzle.com store, AB underscore pod underscore store. Also, if the mood strikes, check out my other podcast, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, where we talk about all things animated, Snoopy, and Charlie Brown. A new episode drops on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bites. Skiing. That's about all I got to say about that right now. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.